This is the Physical Activity Researcher Podcast, a podcast for researchers of sedentary behavior, physical activity, and sports. Join for a relaxed dialogue about research design, practicalities, and, well, anything related to research. Learn from your fellow researchers useful and relevant information that does not fit into formal content and limited space of scientific publications. And here is your host, researcher and entrepreneur, Ollie Tikkanen. And if we think this from evolutionary perspective, do we do we have any idea why exercise seems to be so important for at least the human's brain health? What what's the reason there? It seems that exercise is important for everything, even brain and most of the systems. Why is it so? Yeah, I think I think that it it's we we evolved to be. Um, exploring our habitats and and uh moving around and and searching for food not to be sitting on in our chairs at our desks or at our computers or in front of our TVs most of the days. I think that part of the reason why our brains have become so advanced is because of our movement, our mobility, our engagement in physical activity. And uh to some extent Our brains have now uh, gotten so far that we have technological developments that allow us to remain seated, and ironically, that's what's also negatively affecting our brains in a lot of ways. So, um, in some sense, it's come full circle. And do do we have any idea that are these effects the same in animals, or are humans? different in this or mammals or is there do do all animals seem to need exercise i think all animals need to be active and exercising um and that's part of the reason why uh, as i've been mentioning here a few times there's rodent studies studies in mice and rats and in dogs um and and other animals and even anecdotally we we know any of us who have dogs and cats and other other pets um we know that keeping them active is actually very important for their overall health and well-being and and quite often we can see that reflected in some of their brain function as well so i think that i think that it is very clear both from animal work that's currently ongoing as well as um studies that compare across species um and levels of activity so so i think that there's clear evidence that it's not just humans that need physical activity it's it's all animals and if we discuss the physical activity recommendations do you think the brain aspects are considered enough in these recommendations and if we would create recommendation only from perspective of brain health how would the recommendation differ from the current ones yeah uh i was on the both chuck hillman and i were on the 2018 uh us um physical activity guidelines committee and uh and then that uh ended up being much of that work was translated into the world health organization guidelines and um So I think that there's there's a lot of focus on the guidelines for good reason and and really for the first time brain health was very center stage in thinking about the guidelines um and so we we now have policies at not only the US policy level but uh but at the World Health Organization level for guidance around using physical activity as a method for enhancing or maintaining brain health throughout the lifespan and uh and so i think that this is really uh really quite important um the guidelines uh are are really critical because they're prescriptive right um they they try to be prescriptive so a minimum of 150 minutes per week of moderate 
to vigorous intensity physical activity. Um, the prescriptions are really important because if we are going to be thinking about exercise as medicine, uh, we know that people need some precision. They need to know how much to get. Is getting up from their couch and just walking to the mailbox <laughs> sufficient? I don't think so, um, but uh, some people may count that as physical activity. Um, is going for a walk around the block for 10 minutes um, sufficient? Probably not, right? We need to be precise um, with the amount of activity that's that's needed. And 150 minutes is, is a good, uh, very good recommendation, a minimal recommendation. But we also have to remember that anything is better than nothing. So if you're currently sitting and and 150 minutes a week is out of your range, um, like it is for for many people, unfortunately. Um, then getting 10 minutes a day is a an improvement. The question around how much you need for changing the brain is another really important question. We don't have actually a very good answer for this right now. It's, it's obviously very important for all the prescriptive reasons that we were just discussing. It might be that uh, engaging in less than 150 minutes per week is sufficient for enhancing brain health. Or maybe the opposite. Maybe you you need more than 150 minutes per week. Maybe you need 200 minutes per week to really change the brain in some really clear manner, an effective manner. So the, the dose response, the intensity, the amount, the volume, is these are really important questions. And coming back to your question about sedentary behavior, um, here too, the question comes in is how much is really needed of light activity or how much sedentary behavior do you need to replace with, with light activity? Um, I'll give you a quick example. Uh, we have an older person who comes in and uh, briskly walks at a moderate to vigorous intensity pace for 30 minutes a day, but then spends most of the time sitting for the rest of the day. Um, and he does that seven days a week. Uh, and so he's certainly achieving the physical activity recommendations of trying to obtain at least 150 minutes per week. But we have another person, another gentleman who comes in who doesn't get any moderate to vigorous intensity activity per week at all. He's virtually at zero, but he works out in his garden uh, doing light activity for hours every day, actually. Uh, does his hours of light activity every day essentially equate to the 30 minutes a day that this other person is getting at a moderate to vigorous intensity. We don't, we don't, have, we don't have this information on the brain and cognition right now. Um, we don't know how much is really needed or how you can replace one with another. Um, and it's, it's likely to be complicated. Um, the amount of activity needed for somebody with Alzheimer's disease might be very different than somebody who is cognitively normal um, and who wants to maintain their brain health. Um, the activity needed to change the brain in children might be very different than the amount of activity you need to change the brain of somebody with schizophrenia. So we have to be thinking probably fairly flexibly about the amount of activity. But that being said, it's still important to come up with some general guidelines that probably apply to the majority of the population. And how would you see probably when you don't have too many studies when you design a study, you definitely want to see a difference. So you probably have enough exercise that you will see differences in the brain. And we are probably at that that stage. And same with the exercise science, we have all the time went down. And now basically we know that anything is good, even one minute of 
activity between sitting. Would you speculate that this same would happen with the brain, that we just have done the studies that really have changes and we will go down from there? That's what I'm thinking. I think we're getting, as the studies are conducted, we get more and more information about what works and what doesn't work. Um, you know, the brain, um, the brain isn't easy to change. And it's designed not to be easy to change, right? We wouldn't want our brain to be changed really easily from one moment to the next or from one slight change in behavior to the next behavior. So the brain is protected and it's protected in a way that um, to some extent makes it difficult to modify. So you need to, what we know is you need to engage in some behavior for some period of time in order to really see some lasting benefits. Um And so this isn't something where you can just go to the gym a few times and then, you know, be protected against Alzheimer's disease. It's, it's really not the way it works. Um, and, and we shouldn't expect it to be so. Um, what, we, what we think is that it probably takes several months at least of, of continued engagement. And just like anything, um, any type of behavior, you probably need to engage in that behavior in order to maintain those benefits, right? So if you exercise, but then stop exercising, you don't maintain all of those benefits. You lose some of those benefits, right? Some of those those effects that you gained from exercising. And um, in the same way that if you go on a diet and lose weight, uh, you Uh, need to maintain some dietary change, some behavior change in order to maintain that weight. If you go back to your previous diet, uh, you're probably going to gain weight again. And so um, how much exercise is needed, I think is an important question. And for many different organ systems of the body, we have much more information than we do about the brain, primarily because the brain was only able to be recently studied using non-invasive technology fairly recently. So we still have a lot to learn in this area. So still a lot to learn in the area. What kind of studies we need that we can take the field big steps forward? So some of these are currently being done. Um, and when you know one of the challenges when you are conducting a randomized clinical trial in which you are randomly assigning people to receive exercise for some period of time and you monitor, supervise their their exercise behaviors, uh, these studies take years. And of course, with the pandemic, that just has delayed everything, all of the scientific outcomes. And so uh, Chuck Hillman and I and others have several studies going on in which we are are conducting a randomized, several randomized clinical trials uh, that address some of these questions that we're raising here. So one of the studies is a dose response study in which we are We have manipulated the amount of activity, both intensity and volume of activity per week, the amount, the time spent in those activities per week. And so from that, we're hoping to better understand some of the questions around the amount that is needed to change the brain in a positive way. Um, we're, we're studying markers of inflammation and metabolism and um and fitness in a way where we can better understand some of the questions around mechanisms. And these studies, unfortunately, again, because of the pandemic, they were supposed to have been done by now, but uh, pandemic has delayed everything. And as a result, we're, the science is delayed. So we'll probably have some answers to these questions in the next couple of years, I would say. And and do you have any other studies underway or upcoming at Advent Health specifically for the for the brain? Yeah, that's an important an important point here. So, um, of course, I'm I I was a professor at the University of Pittsburgh for many years and have 
uh, recently transitioned my laboratory and my research to uh, Advent Health Research Institute in Orlando, Florida. And we are building a neuroscience research institute where we are going to be focusing on translational aspects of neuroscience. And what that means is, is trying to better understand these questions about, about exercise behaviors, dietary behaviors, weight loss, the impact of type 2 diabetes, or the impact of cancer and other other types of, of disease states or behaviors that are likely affecting our brain. We are currently undergoing some, um, starting up some studies that are going to be following people uh, for many years, uh, about five to six years, and trying to understand whether exercise engagement influences Alzheimer's disease neuropathology, um, whether exercise engagement um changes uh, patterns of cognition in very specific ways and what those underlying mechanisms are. And then we're also, because we're going to be following people, we want to better understand whether we, we can use some of the brain data to predict who is more likely to maintain uh, exercise behaviors over long periods of time. So these are, I think, are some of the questions and some of the directions that we're going in at Advent Health Research Institute and in the neuroscience program. And uh, it's an exciting avenue. It's, there's a lot of exciting research going on right now. And, and we will be in the process of starting up these projects, hiring people, uh, adding to our technology, adding to our staff um, and faculty support. And are you looking for some collaborators? And if yes, what, what qualities, what, uh, how, what kind of collaborators you are looking for? Yeah, you know, this, uh, all of this work is highly interdisciplinary. Um, it requires a team of people with background in neuroscience and neuroimaging and neurology to uh, backgrounds in biomedical engineering and statistics to backgrounds in exercise physiology and metabolism. So it really requires a uh, experience and expertise in, in broad areas and, and many disciplines. So by nature, I am very collaborative. Um, that's who I am, and that's I think how I've gotten to this area. I I I don't think that I would have as much fun uh, doing my research and in, and doing the work if if I wasn't as, as interdisciplinary or wasn't in a field that wasn't as interdisciplinary. So the short answer is I'm always looking at collaborators. I'm always interested in expanding this research, and uh, and we're we're really trying to take this worldwide. There's there's work going on in many areas around the world. One of my passions is that um, is to try to harmonize some of the work that's going on around the world. We are doing our work in the U.S. There's groups in Canada. There's groups in in Australia and parts of Asia, and of course throughout Europe. But many of us are doing our own research the way that we think it should be done and not really harmonizing our instruments, our methods, our approaches, or, or combining data in, um, in ways that would, that would really inform the field and, and inform future directions for the field. And so one of, the, one of my passions is trying to do this. Um, and it takes money, of course. So we're trying to get some money to have people staffing and computer support and software support in order to combine data sets around the world. And then also inform new investigators or new studies about uh, things that they should be doing or things that they might consider doing as a part of their own research projects. And in this podcast, we have had quite many episodes about ProPass, which is harmonizing physical activity measurement with accelerometers, mainly for 
thigh-worn, and you are probably harmonizing also other parts. Are you considering this harmonizing the measurement methods of physical activity per se? We are. We are harmonizing the, the measurement approaches as well as the interventions as well, right? So thinking about how the interventions should be delivered to participants, what kind of dose we should be thinking about. Um, if we have a study that's already examining one dose, maybe we don't want another study that's examining that exact same dose. We want something else that could be potentially more informative. We want to harmonize with our cognitive instruments. Right now, this is a big problem. Every lab, every region of the of the of the country and every region of the world uh, utilizes different cognitive assessments and um, this is a limitation when we start trying to examine why there's differences in studies or what's what uh, why some why some studies are similar and some studies are different um, neuroimaging brain imaging as well um, we need to think about some harmonization of the of the MR sequences and the approaches used to collect the brain imaging data. So, so you're absolutely right that um, we have to harmonize on all levels of this type of research. And this podcast probably has quite many listeners who are doing physical activity research and are not experts on measuring cognition, but they might have a good intervention of physical activity. What would be your advice how they can maybe easily add something little on the side about cognition? I would, first of all, highlight the fact that it is interdisciplinary. So you should always, if you're not an expert, try to reach out to somebody who is an expert um, to, to gain some insight as to uh, what instruments might be the most uh, beneficial or the, the most likely to show some patterns in the time frame that you want to be administering. So some tests are very short. Um, and uh, if you want to look, for example, specifically at selective attention, then you could administer something fairly short and very, fairly quick. But then you're only going to be looking at selective attention. You're not going to be capturing measures of memory function. If you want to do a short test of memory function, then you're not going to be capturing measures of selective attention. If you want both selective attention and memory, then your tests become longer, right? So the more comprehensive you want to assess the brain, the more assessments you need to give in order to have that level of granularity that you might be interested in. If you're interested in global cognitive function, there's some tests that provide some assessments of global cognitive function as well, but they might also not be as sensitive to some of the effects, right? They're not as, um, they're not getting down to that fine grain level that you might need in order to, to really detect some changes. Good points. And you said that you maybe have some new positions coming. How would a listener apply for a position at Advent Health Research Institute? I would say the, the first step would, would be to contact me directly. Uh, contact me directly with your CV, your interests. Um, we have uh, we have and are hiring people right now. We have grants that will be starting in the next six months, uh, and so the, it's a, it's a very exciting time. Um, it's a it's a period of growth and development here. And um, uh, so if if there is anyone listening, if you are interested, Orlando is a beautiful place um, in Florida. It's it's warm here year round, and um, so if you are interested, just send me an email. Uh, we can communicate further and uh, make sure to send me your CV along with it and some of your primary interests. Yeah, sounds good. And as, as someone who has had success with a lot of getting a lot of grant money, what would be your top tips that you can offer for other people who are applying for grants? 
Uh, yeah, that's a that's a, a question that's difficult to answer in a in a couple minute um, <laughs> uh, interview. I would say um, I've actually done separate interviews and separate discussions and presentations on aspects of getting grant funding that. Um, are closer to about 45 minutes we spend. So we can certainly touch base separately and talk further about this. But um, you have to keep in mind that I would say that science, uh, the science, the scientific ideas are about 50% of what's needed to get the grant. Um, You may have a, a brilliant idea, a brilliant scientific idea, but you need to convince reviewers, you need to convince funding organizations that this is worthwhile to fund. And it takes more than the science to get you there. And so some of the some of the things you need to keep in mind are uh, the investigative team, the environment. Um, how are you um, indicating that this is going to be innovative uh, and significant? How are you going to um, show that this project should be funded while other projects um, are not might not be delivering the same level of innovation? So there's a lot of things that, uh, in terms of the communication of the science, the narrative around the science, and what we referred broadly as grantsmanship, uh, I think that that is where a lot of um, especially younger scientists end up struggling because as scientists, we're trained to think about the science, not necessarily the the grantsmanship and uh, the communication. So I think that that's where some of the education and training and practice need to come in. One of the key elements I would say is persistence. Uh, Keep persisting because most of us don't get grants right away. We have to try and try and try again, um, which means that uh, if you fail to get a grant, then you're in good company with uh, nearly everyone else. Um, You have to keep persisting and make sure that uh, it is a fun read. I review grants uh, all the time. And uh, if it's not a fun read, if I'm struggling, then uh, it's not going to probably not going to be recommended for funding. Um, One of the ways that I like to always think about it is imagine your reviewer on a red eye flight across the Atlantic reading your application with a glass of red wine in their hand. Uh, They need to be enjoying it. They need to be uh, it needs to be an easy and comfortable and fun read that they're engaged in and thinking about the science. If you haven't accomplished that, then I would say you're probably going to have a hard time getting funded. And if if listeners are interested, there's an excellent video in YouTube that where the Kirk is telling about these these things and and it's 45 minutes, so there's a lot of lot of information. I think it's it's excellent. Um, I think our time is about to be up. Is there anything you want to add in the discussion or final words? You know, I think that uh, there's there's so much to learn, but uh, I think probably the final message is that despite there being so much to learn, we can be confident in saying and prescribing and indicating at a public health and policy level that exercise does positively affect the brain. And so I think we should all, thinking about the, the bird's eye view of the field, I think we can be very confident about that. Great. Thanks a lot for taking the time for this podcast. Great. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us this week on Physical Activity Researcher Podcast. If you like the show, make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing or following the show on Twitter. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. If you found value in the show, 
we would really appreciate a rating on Apple Podcast or whichever app you use. Or if you would, in a real old school way, simply tell a friend about the show. It would be a great help for us. We have a fantastic lineup of guests for forthcoming episodes, so be sure to tune in. Thank you all for your support and have a great day.